Welcome to Career Revisionist with Dr. Grace Lee, dedicated to doers, dreamers, and realists who want more success and satisfaction in their life. This podcast is about answering one question. How can you build a fulfilling career where it's all about doing work you love and growing your income without sacrificing your values? And here's your host, she'd rather ski than snowboard, Dr. Grace Lee. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Career Revisionist, and we are now on episode 87, and today I thought it would be appropriate to talk about rejection. Lately, I have I've been fielding a lot of questions about rejection, how to overcome it, how to avoid it, how to prevent it from happening, all of those sorts of things. And so today I want to talk about how to deal with rejection at work from the higher-ups. You know, as you have been following my story, you must have heard that in the past, I used to work in corporate, in the corporate world, and I used to work for a large biotech company. And then this biotech company, they had like global offices around the world. You know, I was based, the headquarters was based in Canada out on the West Coast in Vancouver. And they had sales offices all around the world in Europe, Australia, Asia, the US, everywhere. And I was based at the headquarters and my role was at a senior management position. And my role really intersected, intersected between marketing and product management and a little bit of business strategy as well. So I am definitely not new to rejection. You know, and of course, before before corporate as well, I was in academia. I worked in the hospital as well after my PhD. And you know, rejection is in the workplace. It is inevitable. So that's why I wanted to talk about it. I mean, the question that you have to ask yourself uh, is, have you ever tried to bring a new idea to higher ups in your workplace or in your environment it, only to have your idea shot down? Right. Or maybe the higher ups are they veto your idea. They may justify why they may they may tell you why and they may not. But the thing is, because of your position and their positional authority, you really don't have a say. Right. You you might be able to ask why or solicit um, uh, an explanation or solicit some feedback or 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 uh, constructive criticism. But of course, that's not always offered. Right? Or maybe you heard all the reasons why your ID didn't work. Either way, there is rejection from people that you need approval from or you need buy-in from in order for your ideas to be implemented. Right. So the most common yearnings people have for their career is to really to be seen and heard. Right. You hear this all the time. It happens in relationships as well, not just between spouse, but it happens in friendships. It happens in relationships at work. It happens in, in any type of relationship. We all want to be seen and heard. It is a very human yearning. And being seen, being heard means that we are respected. We want to be respected. We want to be seen, be heard, and therefore feel respected. That is really a deep yearning that we have, right? So I wanted to shed light on that. What's going on when when the higher-ups reject your ideas? What's going on? Why does that happen, right? And of course, I'm not talking about the individual reasons why or some maybe there's a business strategy or some uh, business or some vision that is, that makes up the reason why they vetoed your ideas. I'm not talking about specifics. I'm talking about in general, from a human perspective, from human psychology perspective, what's going on when they reject your ideas. Okay, so here's the thing, the principle that you must understand is that people often defend the status quo, right? And so what is the status quo? The status quo bias, right? It's, it's a type of bias. Status quo is, is meaning the thing, the way things are, right? Status quo is the way things are. And there's a bias, a cognitive bias called the status quo bias, and it involves people preferring that things stay as they are, or that the current state of affairs remains the same, right? They want things to stay the same because change can be a scary thing for many people. And when changes do occur, people tend to perceive them at a loss or a detriment. People tend to focus on what we are, what we, what we stand to lose 
if changes were to occur, what detriment we are to face, what drawbacks we are to face, or what risks we have to take when changes do occur. And so as they consider their choices, people focus more on what they stand to lose rather than how they might benefit. And so this tendency to do that, to focus on what they stand to lose, to, stand, to focus on the, the, the risks, it's called loss aversion bias, right? They are averse to loss. And it's when the potential for loss stands out in our minds much more prominently than the potential for gains. Right? And the most amazing thing about this behavior is that our minds still choose the status quo out of fear, even though the present is dissatisfying. I'm going to say this again. So even if the current status quo, the way things are right now is not satisfying, even though like theoretically and logically, we say that we want to change, something's got to change. The most amazing thing is that we still choose the status quo because it's out of fear, right? We fear that which we do not know and any change is unknown. Anything outside of the status quo is unknown and so we fear it. And so the status quo bias is also related to the conservative mindset. People who are more conservative tend to focus on keeping traditions and keeping things the way they are, right? One, on the one hand, Keeping traditions, keeping things the way they are, keeping the status quo and, and not, and not, you know, not uh, expanding beyond that. It's protective, right? You protect, you perceive this protection from what we perceive to be future harm. And we perceive that by avoiding the risk that might be associated with change. And so, but the problem, the flip side of that is that if you subscribe to this mindset, you also miss out on all the possible benefits that change might bring. Right, So avoiding risks in loss aversion is one cause of status quo bias. Right, It's a cause. So the reason why people stick to the status quo, one cause of it is because they have a loss aversion. They, they are averse to loss. And so the search for certainty is the other cause. Right, So the first cause is loss aversion. The other cause is the search for certainty. Right, So some people tend to subscribe to the status quo bias because they are loss averse. Others tend to, start to subscribe to the status quo bias because they want certainty. They yearn for certainty. They need certainty. They feel they, they need the feelings, the emotions associated with certainty, right? Especially when people are facing impending change. But inevitably, the search for certainty leads to objections to new ideas, right? Because you want what's certain and out. And new ideas don't bring more certainty. They bring more uncertainty because it is about to bring change, right? New ideas necessarily bring about change. And I'm not commenting on the quality of the change, whether it is positive, negative, whether it is constructive or destructive. I'm just saying it brings out change. It brings about change. New ideas necessarily bring out change. And that goes against the search for certainty. And that's why objections occur. So it might be tempting to try harder to persuade the higher-ups to adopt new ideas or new narratives. Right? It's very tempting. You try it once, you propose it, they veto your ideas or they turn them down and they may or may not give a reason why, they may or may not give you constructive feedback. And then so the first reaction we might have is, oh, we just got to try harder. We'll try again. We'll try it from a different angle. We'll just persuade more. Persistence, so that type of persistence is a great quality to have when facing the long and hard journey of succeeding in our career paths, but it's not the answer to dealing with rejection, right? And here's why. It's because trying harder at failed efforts is the same thing as doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, right? It's what we call like fairy dust thinking, 
right? It's 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 fairy tale. It it is it is a fantasy. It is an illusion of of trying harder, expecting different results. It is uh, you're trying you're trying you're try, working harder at what doesn't work is not going to work, right? So more of the same effort will simply lead to the same success of achieving rejections. So if you're currently working, for example, in an organization or a company or a startup or whatever that is stagnant, objections are likely to carry more weight than new ideas, right? But so the most influential way to responding to objections from higher-ups is not through persistent pitching or objection handling, although that is the reaction we receive because that's what we've been taught to do. It doesn't work the first time. If, if if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, right? We've been taught that since we were children. But the most influential way is not about that type of persistence. Because the experience you give the receiver is one of being on the defense. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. But in this case, if you try, try again, persuade, persuade again, they're just going to be on the defense. Because nobody wants to be wrong. Nobody wants to be vetoed in return. Right. Nobody wants a mirror put in their face. Nobody wants to 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 have a mirror, especially if they're not ready or if they're not open to that type of feedback, whether they know they're getting feedback or not. That reflection is very difficult to receive. And that is likely to produce an adversarial response for them. Right. You will receive an adversarial response if they're on the defense, which means that they can come up with new objections. You try a different angle. They will have new objections to your different angle. You try harder at the same thing, they will have new objections. They will justify harder, right? So the reason of this approach is that you will end up in a downward spiral that separates the winners from the losers. There will be a winner and there will be a loser each time and you're not going to be on the winning team, right? So that is not, that is not the advisable pr- approach. And the spiral that you're going to go down looks like this. You present your new idea and then they express an objection. They veto it and they object. And so then you respond with your defense or an explanation of why it will work. And then they come up with a new objection. And so you handle that new objection in defense. And then they respond by communicating their decision about your new idea, which they are back in the defense again. And then you're in the offense. So this defense offense switching keeps happening again and again. And there is a clear winner and loser. Their decision is final because they're the higher ups. And the outcome is that there is a clear winning side and a clear losing side. Right. So persistence in pitching, persistence in objection handling or explanation or, or providing more explanation or more clarity, that is not the most influential way to respond to these rejections. Right. And here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to prevent I'm going to present to you for the remainder of this episode, the best way, the most influential way to respond to rejections like that. OK, so here it is. The most influential way to respond to rejections from higher ups or from people who have that authority, positional authority, is to respond with curiosity. Respond with curiosity. Because when you respond with curiosity, it allows you to get to the truth and not get resented for responding to their objections. They're not going to resent you for it. They're not going to be on the defense. In fact, if you're opening up a space for them to tell you their truth. You're opening up a space for them to be direct, right? You're in fact, you're inviting it because you're being curious. You are inviting them to tell you what they truly think and what they truly feel about you without taking it personally, because that's what curiosity is. Curiosity is influential, especially when it's coupled with caring and concern, right? Because the opposite of curiosity is getting on the defense, which is adversarial. 
getting on the defense, which is pitching again, repitching, and being persistent in trying again, explaining again. That's adversarial. That's getting on the defense. So what you want to have is genuine curiosity. Because genuine curiosity is the influential response to resistance. And it doesn't require that you have positional authority. You can be curious without positional authority. You can be curious if you're a junior manager. You can be curious if you're a member of staff. You can be curious if you are an intern. You can be curious if you are a student. It doesn't require that you have positional authority. You can respond influentially simply from your current position, from your current role, and you do it simply by asking questions. But you got to ask the questions out of care and concern. You are genuinely concerned and care, caring about that project, right? About that outcome that you want, that you are working toward as a team, right? So you ask, so curiosity sounds like this. It sounds like, tell me more. What else? What else is important? What are you trying to achieve? You see, people won't hear you. They won't hear your ideas until you hear and understand them first. Right. So you have, you must add value and the and the value you're you're adding is the gift of that space, the gift of true caring and concern and genuine curiosity. And when you couple curiosity with caring and concern, you create the space for listening to them so that you can uncover the truth of their objections. And they won't tell you the truth of their objections until you ask. And you ask in a way that is non-threatening, is non-defensive, so they are not adversarial. Listening is more influential than telling when you are trying to earn their attention and consideration for new ideas. It's a win-win situation. You get to listen to them. They get to be listened to. And in return, you get to feel heard and seen. Right, so here's how you implement curiosity. You can use it to get them to become aware of consequences and hence you open up opportunity. Get them to become aware of the consequences of, for example, not taking up your new idea, not considering your new idea, not considering your insights or not considering your viewpoints. Right, you can ask them, I see that won't work and therefore you're acknowledging resistance and then you open up the opportunity. What might work? Right, I see why things should stay the same especially if they are loss averse and they have a status quo bias. So what are some reasons why we might want to change? And that opens the door for brainstorming and therefore you position yourself as a team member. Why do your best aspirations tell, we, tell you we might try? What happens if we choose to do nothing? Right? Where will we be in six months if we stay the course, if we stay where we're going? Where will we be in six months? Contrasting that to where we want to be in six months. Right? And so in summary, it is important that if you have an idea and you believe so much in your idea and the value you can bring into that industry, into that marketplace, into that company, you actually have a moral obligation to bring that idea forward. You have a moral obligation to say something and to sell that idea. Otherwise, you're not contributing to your fullest and you are not fulfilling your potential and your purpose. So it is your moral obligation because the tragedy, the real tragedy is if you don't say so, things stay the same and the outcome is not, is not gained. So it is a butterfly effect. Saying so not only allows you to contribute to your fullest and, and contribute your fullest potential and also to add value, it also allows them and the whole team to reach the end state that they desire. To, to produce the outcomes they desire for themselves and ultimately for the clients that you serve. 
So you have a moral obligation. And it's not about not giving up and being persistent. It's about approaching it with genuine curiosity. It's about approaching it through influence and not through force. Right? So I hope that this episode has given you some shifts in your thinking. Because I always believe that your best thinking will get you to where you are at so far. But in order to get to exactly where you want to be, you need to have better thinking. You need to invest in your mind. Right? So if you're curious and you want to learn more, I invite you to follow me on LinkedIn at Dr. Grace Lee. I always put content there as well. Right? And if you are curious about how you can implement this, or if you have any questions, I invite you to put in the comments below your questions. Because once I read all of the questions and once in a while, I answer them on my next episode. So thank you for listening to this episode and I look forward to chatting with you again soon.